Welcome to a brand new episode of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we wanted to welcome back a very special guest. Uh, today we have on Christian Miller. He's uh, the A.C. Reed Professor of Philosophy at Wake Forest University, science contributor at Forbes, and past director of the Character Project, which researched moral character from the perspectives of psychology, philosophy, and theology. He's also the author of The Character Gap, How Good Are We?, and Honesty, the Philosophy and Psychology of a Neglected Virtue. Welcome back, Christian. It's great to be back. Good to see you guys again. Absolutely, man. Really great to see you too. So <laughs> I, want to start, I want to start off with a passage before we begin. Christian writes, sadly though, honesty has gone missing in recent decades. It is largely absent from academic research. It seems to be rare in society, and it is not commonly found in discussions of how to become a better person. What is honesty? How is honesty related to integrity, courage, and tact? It is, is it always best to be honest? What are, the ways, what are the ways of failing to be honest? These are important questions, but you will be hard-pressed to find discussions of them among scholars. In my field of philosophy, for instance, outside of my work of my own team, there have been only two articles on honesty published in the past 50 years. Okay, so how is that? Like, how is that possible? Because if we're, especially if we're thinking of analytic philosophy, I mean, everything is sort of broken down and pretty much research ad nauseum, where you'll have like, you know, these sort of smaller, narrowly defined concepts where you'll have like hundreds of upon hundreds of articles on them. How come that wasn't the case with honesty? I know, I, I've wondered myself. So that's, I, the title of the book is Honesty, the Philosophy and Psychology of a Neglected Virtue. And I meant neglected primarily in that sense that scholars weren't paying attention to it. Uh, I have some hypotheses. I just don't know definitively what the answer is. So you're right that some topics in philosophy have got a lot of attention and been kind of researched to death. I, you know, topics like grounding, the grounding of reality. I mean, what in the world? But this one, you, you would have thought uh, this would have, would have been one of them as well. Uh, but keep in mind this, that in philosophy, virtue and character in general were neglected for quite some time in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. um, people in ethics were focused mainly on other approaches, like the approach associated with Kant, an approach associated with utilitarianism, and they were not interested as much in those general concepts. That changed about the 1970s, 1980s with what we might call the virtue revolution, uh, kind of dissatisfaction with the available options. And I returned to the way philosophy first thought about ethics with the ancient Greeks, with Plato and Aristotle in terms of virtue and virtue ethics. So that comes along. And the, even there, though, the focus was more general was on virtue writ large, the, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the general concept and how that might help us live our lives particular virtues still were not getting much attention until I would say the, the 90s and then the turn of the century. And then at that point, it's kind of, there's no rhyme or reason which one gets picked up. So mm -hmm. someone writes an article on modesty, for example, mm -hmm. and puts forward a view about modesty and a view is controversial. And then suddenly there are 20 responses. So that mm -hmm. an, an industry develops about around modesty. I mean, what, why modesty? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, other ones, which you might have thought would get a lot more attention, didn't. So uh, not just honesty, it's uh, patience, generosity uh, are two that come to mind. Graciousness is a third one. Gratitude. Uh, they, they were slow. Um, it might, I, another part of the puzzle might be that honesty, you might think there's not much to say. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. If you're an honest person, you don't lie. Mm -hmm. you know, what, what's there to write about? I mean, there's much more interesting puzzles to sort through in philosophy than that. And so maybe apparent, you know, appearances were, uh, I think, misleading, but appearances maybe suggested there wasn't much to do here. And finally, I think we're trying to change that perception and get people to pay a lot more attention to this neglected virtue. Mm -hmm. Right, because uh, you can be honest, but not for the, the right reason, right? I mean, uh, essentially, um, I believe you give an example about a, um, a store owner who sells his products for uh, at fair prices to everyone when of course he could take uh, advantage let's say of a richer client but uh he doesn't do that but not necessarily because uh that's part of his character and he wants to um, do the right thing it might actually be just for uh, business purposes to not affect the business in the long term which may not necessarily be the quote unquote right reason mm -hmm, right yeah that, i wish i could claim that example I'd say it was mine, but actually Immanuel Kant got there first. So <laughs> a, a rather more famous and influential philosopher came up with that one, but it works very well. Uh, so, you know, if we're thinking about honesty, we can think about it in different ways. We can think about honest behavior just in, in and of itself mm -hmm. and not consider where that behavior comes from. 
But I'm more interested in honesty, the virtue, so the character trait. And I think character traits are multifaceted and complex psychological dispositions in our minds. Mm -hmm. And so they have a behavioral side to them for sure, but they also have a motivational side, which is what you're getting at. So it's not enough if you're an honest person just to outwardly act honestly. In the example, it's not enough just to um, treat your, to not cheat your, your customers and change the price depending upon how wealthy the customer is. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, that is part of it though. I mean, you gotta have the good behavior. If you don't have the good behavior, you're, you're really not getting in the realm of virtue, but the heart matters too. So if it's just done for egoistic or self-interested reasons, uh, you know, to uh, uh, make more profits for the business, um, to make a good impression on the customers, whatever the reason might be in other contexts, to not fail out of school, um, to get a promotion at work. Uh, those are all about me, ultimately. I'm doing this honest action because it'll somehow, I think, benefit me. And that does not count as honest motivation in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's controversial. People can debate that. And you might say, well, sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not. I think it's always the case that self-interested motivation, thumbs down. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what, what is thumbs up then? Uh, well, when it comes to honesty, I think there's still a lots of different options. You can uh, be honest towards others for uh, loving reasons because you care about them. You can be honest towards others because they're your friends or friendship reasons. Mm-hmm. You can be honest towards others for reasons of justice and fairness because it's the just thing to do. You can be honest towards others because it's the, the right thing to do. It's your duty. Kant would, Kant would have said that. Mm-hmm. You can even just say, uh, because it's honest, the motivation, be, I want to be an honest person, or I want to do the honest thing, explicitly mention honesty as the motive. All mm-hmm. those are fine. I would not want to you know, uh, be harsh on any of those. It's just the self-interested ones I think are questionable. Yeah, I really like that I came apart or came uh, not apart. Um, I came to that part of your article where uh, you talked about the different this sort of various reasons for like honest behavior. So, you know, I was thinking the other day before actually reading it, I was wondering, okay, you know, is it possible to actually not care about somebody but still like want to do right by them? So my thinking was like, you know, uh, let's say for somebody who is, let's say maybe antisocial or psychopathic, right? I was like, well, is it really necessarily possible that like somebody or is it like, let me see. Um, so is it likely rather? So is it likely that a person is a psycho who's like, you know, diagnosed a psychopath, would they still be able to be an honest or good person, right? Despite the fact that they aren't really able to experience human connections. So, you know, in thinking about that, I was thinking, well, no, maybe not. Maybe the idea there is that it's like, if you don't have the sort of empathy, or at least like some sort of connection between you and the sort of recipient, right? It's probably not possible. But actually, no, it, it actually is if we start thinking about it. So the idea is that, I mean, it is nothing against, let's say, the clinical literature or nothing in the clinical literature against saying that the person with antisocial personality disorder doesn't have some sort of sense of duty. I mean, it's probably not likely, but definitely not impossible. But from your sort of understanding of the literature, um, I don't even know, maybe if there has been, maybe hasn't been research on this, but if we think about like correlations with honesty, which one of these reasons are more correlated with honesty? Is it the one that has to do with sort of, you know, justice, uh, duty, integrity, or is it the one that's more so due to the connection where it's like, well, I just love this person, therefore I want to treat them well. Yeah. So that's lots of, really interesting facets to that question. Uh, one was about the psychopaths. That's a, that's a whole topic right there. Uh, we don't really know for sure whether they're capable of moral motivation or not. Mm-hmm. It could be that they're capable of outward moral behavior, but they're doing it in order to mimic other people, but they don't really care about moral behavior for itself. It's just a matter mm-hmm. of, I see this, this kind of greases the wheels that facilitates social interaction to behave mm-hmm. this moral way. So I don't wanna get in trouble and punished for being immoral. So I'm going to go along with it, but I really don't really understand this or don't really care about it. Uh, now, the, the broader question was, what's the correlation between honest, honesty and honest behavior and different types of motivation? Uh, now, this could be an empirical question or it could be an ethical question. Uh, if it, as an ethical question, like, you know, I'm fine with, normatively speaking, all those kinds of motivation. I would not want to privilege any of them so long as they're not self-interested. So that, that, that's already been said. Um, as an empirical matter, which ones are more common? Well, I think it's hard to deny that 
when it comes to outward honest behavior, self-interested motivation is going to be the most common. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so that means that we don't get to virtue yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we, so if, you, if you're going to, you know, I, I, there's no systematic uh, proof of this, but from what I've read of the existing literature, um, if you want to count up the times when people are honest, what most likely is going to be their motivation, it's going to be some kind of self-interested motivation. Mm. Now, put that aside, what about those other virtuous types? How, what, you know, what's the frequency of it being friendship? What's the frequency of it being caring? What's the frequency of it being duty? I have, I have no idea. I don't know if anyone does. Um, wow. uh, 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 which one of those more virtuous ones are more common? I, I, I think that's, that's untapped um, uh, territory. Right, but isn't this but isn't it striking that it's mostly self-interest that leads to honest behavior? Um, I, well, it is, but I think that's not specific to honesty. I think that probably generalizes to all moral behavior mm-hmm. um, and all virtuous behavior. Uh, so I, you know, compassion, you know, justice, all these other kinds of contexts, temperance, self-control. Uh, I I fear that, uh, yeah, the most common story is going to be the self-interested one, which goes in, in right along the lines of the, the more general story I tell by character, which is that most of us are not good enough to count as virtuous. And this is one of the reasons why. So mm-hmm. we, in our, see, see the previous podcast for that one. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it fits nicely with the, the broader story of lack of virtue. Um, right. Most people aren't virtuous, but on the other hand, most people aren't vicious either. Mm-hmm. And how did you decide to narrow it down to honesty out of all of the virtues? Like, why focus on this one specifically? Yeah. Um, well, frankly, I wanted to be, to be honest. Oh, that's that's really bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, Fun really of the bad. day. Yeah, yeah, it's really bad. It, 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 it lends itself to that so easily. It's, it's mm-hmm. just low hanging fruit. Um, uh, I wanted to do something that hadn't been researched to death. Mm-hmm. Um, like like the way you let off, you know, some topics have just been so examined that all you can really do is move the needle a little bit and add one little wrinkle to the existing discussion. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't want to do that. I'm I'm tired of doing that in other other contexts. I wanted something fresh and exciting and novel and just uh, uncharted territory. And the, and uh, that's one reason. Um, and one part of what excited me about that is that I had a chance to put forward a view. And probably not the right view. Probably it's going to be criticized a lot, but at least um, it's putting forward a view, and then hopefully that will spark a new, you know, f- interest in this topic. And others will come along and tell me why I'm wrong, and put forward their views, and then I'll respond to them, and we'll get this thing going, and we'll get you know a, a new area of philosophy moving. That's exciting to me. Uh, the second reason, though, there's more to it. Uh, I could have done that with a really obscure virtue. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have picked it up, although what I just said could have been the case for some really obscure one. Um, but honesty is really important. Mm. Um, it's not just that it's neglected, it's extremely important too. Mm. And so I wanted something that was neglected and made a real difference in people's lives. So, you know, at an abstract level, what, it, what does honesty contribute to? It contributes towards trust in other people. Mm-hmm. It contributes to stability of society. It contributes to intimate relationships. It contributes to friendships. Uh, when you poll people and ask them, what do you like most about people? Honesty is at the top. Wow. When you poll people, what do you want to know the most about someone? Honesty is at the top. When, you, when it goes missing, the impact is usually dramatic. Every day in the news, there's going to be some story about, not unfortunately honesty, about, about the absence of it, whether mm-hmm. it's the college admissions scandal, you know, cheating to get your kids into some Ivy League school, mm-hmm. or it's Ashley Madison websites, you know, millions of people doing these affair, affairs websites, or it's um, steroids, or it's Tiger Woods, or it's, you know, p- pick, your, pick your, your story of the day. Um, it, all, it, it often has to come back to some kind of failure of honesty. So for those, sorry, the long, long answer, but That's okay. both because it's neglected and it gave me a chance to do something original, and because it's so important, I thought let's let's do it. Yeah. Plus, what's what's really great, uh, especially about the psyche article, which we're definitely going to uh, put a link for in the description. Um, you get into ways to encourage honesty, 
And what's great about you know exploring this topic is the more research uh, and more momentum that we can get behind the research of this topic, the more ways we can find you know to actually you know systematically sort of um, influence uh, honesty to be um, more of a um, more of a uh, not neglected virtue, but rather uh, one that's paid attention to and given reference a uh, reverence to rather. Mm -hmm. um, could we maybe talk about uh, ways to encourage honesty? I, sure. I find that very fascinating. Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. So this presupposes that honesty is not widespread. So you have to buy that part of the story already. Mm -hmm. um, if you already think most people are honest, then maybe you want to encourage it in a sense of you want to make people even more honest or you want to keep the status quo and people don't want people's character to erode. But um, that's not the way I think about it. I think the empirical evidence, and we can get into some of the studies and what, why I think this, um, tells us, it paints a picture of widespread lack of the virtue of honesty. Mm -hmm. It also, though, suggests that there's ca uh, capacity for change. So our, in general, our character is not hardwired we're not stuck with what we have, we can move it. Um, so then I advise the question, well, how can we, in this case, grow in honesty? Mm -hmm. um, I want to do two things when I think about growing in honesty. I wanna strengthen the positive side of our character and weaken the negative side of our character. So uh, I think there, most people believe that something like cheating and lying and stealing, they're all wrong, morally wrong. Mm -hmm. This is not, Something that has to be taught to people. Most people already know that. They and they not just they they don't pay lip service to it. Although psychopaths might, uh, most people really do sincerely believe that. So how can we strengthen that side, that belief, while also acknowledging that most people desire to say cheat if they think they can get away with it, not get caught, and it benefits them. Mm -hmm. So that's the negative side. We want to weaken that desire and we want to strengthen the belief in the wrongness of say cheating, lying, and stealing. Okay, um, so let's, let's take it in two parts then, strengthening. Uh, here, I think the two avenues look promising to me, and you can cut me off. I, I can go on the whole rest of our time. Cut me off at some point. Um, <laughs> two, two, two avenues look promising here. One is um, nudging, more reminders, this kind of thing, and the other uh, are more role models. Mm -hmm. um, so let's take the, the nudging and the, the more reminders. Since we do tend to believe that, uh, say, cheating is wrong, what ends up happening is that we also tend to get caught up in our own self-interest. We get distracted. We think about what would benefit us, and we don't pay much attention to the wrongness of cheating. Uh, so if we have a more reminder that comes along, whether that's a reading, uh, a sign, an email, an honor code in the school system, that can help get our priorities where they need to be and get our focus back on track. Um, to make that a little bit less abstract, let me give you an example from, from my context, the educational context. So at Wake Forest, uh, we have an honor code, which is a code of ethics that students are introduced to the very first day they come to campus and it's reinforced all four years. Mm -hmm. And so specifically when they take a test, they will first have to sign the honor code of our university and in my case, I actually verbally recite it with them. I really go overboard, emphasizing this, and then they take the test. And what that does, I hope, or what I hope it does is that it reminds them of what they really care about, their values, and what it, um, the importance of being an honest person. Mm -hmm. So that's an illustration of the idea of more reminders. Um, the other one was about role models, and that's kind of self-explanatory. Uh, having in our lives exemplars of honesty who are doing better than we are. Mm -hmm. um, whether those are historical ones, we can go back thousands of years. Um, we can go back more recently to Abraham Lincoln. Honest Abe is our, a, a famous American role model. Um, but more impactful tend to be contemporary um, people who, real people who we're in relationship with, who we can see on a regular basis, who are relatable to us, um, who we have an emotional connection to and who inspire us emotionally and not just cognitively, but emotionally to become more like them. Mm -hmm. So seeking out those people for their integrity, for their honesty, for their authenticity, their sincerity, and not following them in everything they do because no one's perfect and there are gonna be some warts to their character probably, 
but at least in this area of their life, following their, their example are two things to strengthen the good side. Yeah. So uh, go ahead. No, uh, is there a third? Well, there's the, there's the weakening, the bad side. Mm -hmm. uh, so the weakening, the bad side is, you know, it's nice to strengthen the good side, but look, you're still left with this desire that we have to cheat other people. Mm -hmm. under, especially under certain conditions when we think we can get away with it and not get caught and it benefits us say monetarily or in the forms of pleasure or something like that. Uh, and so there, the most straightforward thing to do is, is invoke forms of punishment. Um, now, I'm not saying I said straightforward, I'm not saying necessarily best, but um, if there's a corporation which um, makes it very clear, we're not going to tolerate, uh, you know, uh, uh, stealing supplies from the company. Mm. Um, and there are going to be severe punishments for that. That can weaken a desire to cheat. Uh, but it's not the only way. And one reason why it's good it's not the only way is that that's self-interested motivation. Again, that's, I'm not going to cheat because I don't want to get punished. Um, the better way, although it's more nebulous and vague, I think is to encourage love of others and caring for others and compassion for others. Right. Because the extent to which I love another person, it works to block my desire to cheat them or lie to them or steal from them. It's very hard to sincerely selflessly care for someone else and also want to take advantage of them. So working against that desire to cheat, uh, I think is best done by fostering love and care for other people. And I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah. So what that makes me think of, and I wonder what like your thoughts on this are. So do you know, I'm sure you do. Um, so with the kind of explanation about honesty from evolutionary psych, right? Or just virtues in general. So what evolutionary psychologists would say is that essentially we've evolved these traits because they kind of benefit us in the long run, right? So they help us survive. They help us form communities. Uh, you know, kind of, we help us reproduce, you know, protect one, each, one another sort of, you know, whatever. Like the idea is essentially that we're better off in the long run if we're actually, if we exhibit and express these virtues outside of like, you know, rather than the opposite. So what are your thoughts on the fact that like in the long term, right? So let's say in the short term, obviously we know dishonesty is obviously terrible, right? So if you were, I mean, maybe not necessarily, but it's a bad thing, especially if you're found out. But in the long run for some person, like maybe the psych, like our psychopath, right? This sort of character that now we've made up. So if in the, if in the long term, right, the psychopath says, well, oh, but you know, if I'm honest, right? In the long run, the evolutionary psychologists tell me that I'll actually thrive and survive and reproduce or whatever, right? You know, within this community. And if this person does it, then, you know, kind of we're all doing it for each other. And we all kind of build up this community that again, you know, outside of the emotions, it's, it's logical, right? It's a rational decision. So what would you tell that person? Boy, um, yeah, I, I probably have to think about it for a while. I probably have to pause like I am right now and think about what I want to say. I mean, it, suppose the evolutionary story is right. What is it a story about? It's a story about how we came to get to this point. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a justification, an ethical justification for acting that way. Even if it's right, and evolutionary psychological explanations of ethics are extremely controversial, and many mm -hmm. of my colleagues who work in this area don't like them and, and reject them. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, uh, even if the, but even if they're causal explanations or historical explanations for how we got there, that doesn't mean they justify a future behavior. Mm -hmm. So. To, to, to switch uh, topics for a moment, um, we can give a, an explanation for how um, sort of uh, aggressive feelings came along and why, why, why um, we have feelings of anger and aggression. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes sense why, why maybe we evolved to have them. It doesn't mean that that gives me license going forward to express my anger whenever I feel like it or be aggressive towards other. Mm -hmm. I now have reflective capacities. I have moral capacities to distance myself from my initial desires of anger or uh, say desire to cheat and reflect about them and think, is this a good thing or not? Is this how I should live my life? Um, so uh, that's the initial point. Now, what do you say more specifically to that person who says, look, no, 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 no. Um, in the long run, I'm gonna benefit from cheating, um, from, from dishonesty. And so, um, you know, you moral philosophers, you tell a nice story, but I'm not going to buy it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you could say different things, um, but ultimately I doubt you're going to be able to persuade this person. Um, so it might depend upon what our goal is here. 
if you're if the goal is to actually change someone's mind and persuade them from that kind of mindsets, good luck. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Um, can you say something reasonable to people who are not like that but are on the fence and are wondering what which way to live their life? That's who yeah. I would be really wanting to speak to who might move mm-hmm. their move their thoughts on the matter. Um, you could point to you know the obvious that fact that uh, it's really hard to get away with it. Right. Um, so you know Socrates and Plato talked about that long ago. Although again, that takes us back into self-interest, self-interest. So don't do it because you might get caught, you might get punished. Um, that's ultimately about egoism again. You could talk about afterlife arguments. You could talk about religious frameworks. Um, worry there again is that that's going to take us back into self-interest. I'm not going right. to. I'm not going to do this because although I might benefit in this life, I might get punished in the next life. Right. That's another direction you can go in. Um, but ultimately, it's again self-interested. You could just start talking about um, what is right and wrong in and of itself. Um, what, what is intrinsically valuable? What is good apart from benefits for yourself? Mm-hmm. I think all virtues are intrinsically valuable. They're good in and of themselves, regardless of whether we benefit or not. But no, no psychopath is going to buy that argument. Um, they're not going to be persuaded by that. Um, <laughs> so uh, you could talk about benefits for society. It might be the case that you benefit, but if everyone acts this way, it's not at all clear that's going to benefit society. Right. Um, so there's difference between you doing that and everyone else doing it. So there are different directions you can go in. Um, I don't think you're ultimately going to be able to persuade that person. No. I wonder if you go for it. I'll, I'll say it after. Okay. Why did you? Okay. So actually, sorry, very, very, go, very go, go. quick point. Yeah. So for that person that's on the fence that you would speak to uh, about this, um, it seems to me that somebody who thinks about self-preservation or just self-interest and has that sort of self-interested motivation uh, is has a mindset of uh, win-lose. Like, where will, you know, uh, where's my benefit out of this? And they don't really think of anyone else's benefit. But it seems to be the case that when somebody thinks win-win, you know, or generally, I mean, it seems to be that what you're saying is really they're you're thinking about the other person's win in a sense. You may not even necessarily be thinking about what's in it for you. Right. So th- that's actually the sense that I'm getting. Right. But, right. but I, you know, for those people that let's say, you know, like using the afterlife argument, let's say it, how you can sort of how that kind of comes back to self-interest, like, oh, well, if I do good deeds, uh, maybe that'll win me, uh, I'll go to heaven, you know, I'll have a great afterlife, you know. Um, but I wonder if for the person that thinks uh, win-win at least, that's sort of a way to sort of like bring them over to the side of thinking about the other person. Right, you're getting closer, is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, like yeah. We're, we're, we're approaching thinking about them solely. You know what, man, this is so interesting. I was actually thinking of something similar. Oh, so cool. All right. So uh, I was actually thinking of the concept of recapitulation. So what I was thinking is I wonder here's what I mean by that. So what I was wondering is if like this entire argument is so the I mean, you know, the argument from evolutionary psychologists, I just really wonder if it's like a case of uh, black and white thinking where the answer is technically both are true. And so here's what I mean by that. So when you're thinking about children, you actually and I'm not saying this is true for everybody, because some kids are just naturally more empathic than others. But usually what happens is when you raise a kid, you tell the kid, okay, look, if you do the right thing, you'll get a reward for it. Right. And then it's like, you know, you do your homework for an hour, you can go play video games. Um, Let's say you share your toys with your sister, you know, we'll buy you ice cream or whatever. Right. But you know, somewhere down the line, there's a relationship that builds. So let's say, you know, brother and sister, right. So if let's say the one of the kids starts sharing with the other, like, let's say the boys start sharing with the girl, and then vice versa, then they automatically kind of they see the joy in the other person. And they think, oh, wow, I actually kind of like this, like, even without the reward, I still think I'd share my toys with my sister. So I wonder if evolutionarily speaking, and of course, you know, who knows how this works, and it's probably bidirectional, but I wonder if what actually happened was, and obviously so difficult to talk about, but like, I wonder if what actually happened is sort of initially we were hyper-rational and we were thinking, okay, you know, a great way for us to survive is to literally work in unison and to work in teams, right? But then as we were just like really kind of nurturing, in this case, honesty, you know, all of these different virtues with one another, we realized, hey, I actually like making my homie feel good, right? It makes me feel happy to make this other person happy. So it's like somewhere down the line, right? The sort of rational became emotional. Very good. Uh great stuff there. You really should uh, teach my philosophy class. Uh, <laughs> have you guest lecture. Um, so uh, I, I, there's, I like the general idea about how to grow in virtue here. 
Um, I don't have any idea about the historical point uh, mm -hmm. as to whether this historically was the way it happened. Um, but when we think about people on, uh, on, the, on the fence who are wondering about whether to become more honest or not, uh, I think it's quite appropriate to speak to them first in terms of what's in their self-interest, just what, how this would benefit them. Um, look, if you, uh, if you become more honest and more virtuous in general, your life is probably gonna go better for you. Uh, and there's empirical data to back this up, correlations between increasing virtue and increasing benefits in life. And if you, they're religious, you can appeal to afterlife rewards too and say, look, it's gonna go, probably gonna go better for you in the afterlife too. Uh, and then so that we start out at the self-interested level because other kinds of arguments are probably not gonna have a hook on them. But as you said, as you get it more immersed in that kind of way of life and it becomes more of who you are and, and more habitual and instinctive and natural, um, you can start to, your motivation can pivot and change and you can start to see value in what you're doing independent of whether it benefits you. Right. But, mm. but, but here's the really cool thing. It can still benefit you. Um, so you can, as you move along and progress towards virtue, your motivation might become less self-interested, but you can benefit and maybe benefit even more. How's that work? Well, the benefits become less the focus and more of the byproduct. And the focus, the goal is to help others or is to tell the truth or is to um, be just towards your friends. But as a side effect or byproduct of that, you can benefit too. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and I like the relationship point too. So in the context mm -hmm. of a relationship, look, we want, we want good relationships. We want to have deep friendships. We want to have deep romantic relationships and so forth. Um, or most, most people do. Um, and we might start out thinking, I'm going to benefit from this. If it's going to become a really genuine friendship and it better become other centered. Mm -hmm. um, my perspective changes. I'm going to be focused on what's good for my friends. But it, as that relationship deepens and become, we become better friends, I take more enjoyment in the friendship. Not as the goal, but as a byproduct, as a side effect. Mm -hmm. And so it's win-win. Just like you said, like that, that, that framework. I win indirectly and the other person wins directly right. from my actions. And so yeah. it is win-win. Wow. Yeah, I love that. And so, I mean, just to go back to an earlier idea that we had. So in terms of the virtues, right, how would we classify them? What are, where are they in terms of, um, so what people specifically look for in another, let's say in a partner in a relationship, um, what they look for in friendships, wherever, just in any kind of type of relationships, right? So how would we sort of rate them? Would honesty be number one? Um, so this, I have to pull up the, some, some, some data here. Uh, mm -hmm. The data I've seen by our team um, suggests that they had, I think, 60 different personality measures. Mm -hmm. And they had people rate, you know, the importance of these different measures on a couple of different categories, liking, um, wanting, what you want to know about someone else. And I think there was one more. And you might have expected other things to, to bubble up to the top. Mm -hmm. And honesty was at the top, mm -hmm. um, significantly above all the others, in fact. Um, I can, if you want to be, give me a second, I can look it up for you, but um, no, no, be, that's what I was curious about was honesty. Number one, because so what yeah. I was thinking about is often you hear this, like where uh, a person would say, well, you know what? I don't care if this person's an asshole. They're honest. Right. So I really appreciate the fact that like this person gets to be themselves. And it was funny too, because like uh, Alan and I were talking earlier and I was actually wondering if that's what you liked about me. It's like, oh, well, he's an asshole, but at least he's honest. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> We were actually, uh, we had a guest on uh, last week, um, Daryl Strickle. Uh, he wrote a book called Building Trust. And one of the things that we talked about in the podcast was a, a clip I saw of um, Simon Sinek, a famous uh, speaker, public speaker. And so he's talking about uh, the Marines and their process for choosing teammates. And he draws this graph. And on one side of the graph, there's ability, how, how well they perform, their skill level. And the other side of the graph, um, it's, it's uh, their trustworthiness, right? And he said, believe it or not, we don't pick the people who are high in ability and low in trustworthiness. Uh, generally speaking, we either, we usually just pick the people who are medium ability, medium trustworthiness, oh. or a low ability, high trustworthiness, right? And I feel like that relates to um, honesty in the sense that 
we really, we, especially in the, the context of the Marines, right? You need to be able to trust the other person with your life, right? And, and it, it seems to me that, I mean, this is also a highly valued trait just in general, whether it's at work or, or in relationships as well. Um, I'd rather somebody who's incredibly trustworthy and would tell me anything, even if it's uh, incredibly, like sometimes the truth can hurt, right? <laughs> but the thing is, if <laughs> this is Alan's way of saying I am an asshole. <laughs> no, not at all. No, no, no. In fact, there are things that I've expressed before that make me look like a little bit of an asshole, even though I try to move, move, move things in a way that tries to lessen the blow, right? I mean, it, that kind of comes out in my behavior as well. But yes, there's sometimes you do have to... Uh, I mean, of course, people lie to preserve somebody else's feelings, too. <laughs> but I feel like if you tell them the truth, but then you try to say that or show in your actions that you're framing the truth in a way that you still have care about how they're receiving the information from you. <laughs> it's not that version of the bad, like the bad version of being honest. It's probably the good version of being honest. Mm -hmm. yeah. Being dishonest. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, so let me let me make two comments. One is. <laughs> Uh, I, I was able to get the data really quickly um, oh. so, uh, on liking, respecting, and knowing. Honesty is first. Mm -hmm. Wow. Even compared to other traits like um, how funny someone is, intelligence, humble, mature, peaceful, kind, giving, trusting, fair, and compassionate. Uh, honesty rises to the top for liking, respecting, and knowing. And this is researched on my uh, colleagues on our team for the honesty project, colleagues of mine in psychology at Wake Forest. Mm -hmm. uh, on, the, on the last point, uh, I think you're, you're quite right. Um, we have to think, are there limits here to the honesty? Uh, is there a, such a thing as excessive honesty where you're, you're too honest with someone else? Uh, and is, are there cases in which, well, maybe I need to curb my honesty a bit for the sake of the relationship? But still, um, uh, the, uh, the relationship is pretty healthy nonetheless. These we might, we might call beneficial kinds of, of dishonesty. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think the answer is yes, there are. Um, and I think you nicely articulated that there's a big difference between someone who's um, cheating with another, with a third party or stealing money from the bank account, that, that, that clear blatant kinds of dishonesty that are going to harm the relationship and the more common uh, white lie scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, how do I look in this fill in the blank? Dress, pants, um, how's the haircut look? How was the, the dessert? This kind of thing. There, you might say, do you need to be maximally honest for the relationship to be healthy and strong? You could debate that. You could argue it. Uh, but I think a number of people would say, no, not necessarily. As long as you're um, withholding your true thoughts for compassionate reasons mm -hmm. because you care about the other person then you have a scenario where two virtues come into play um, you have, have, have honesty on the one hand but you also have compassion on the other hand mm -hmm. and there might be situations where yeah i mean honesty is it's important but it's not the only thing that's important and it gets outweighed by compassion mm -hmm. and so all things considered it's okay to tell that white lie Mm -hmm. And so far, what are the hypotheses about why honesty is number one? Oh, um, no idea. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cause I mean, if I had to guess, I mean, it seems like just predictability. If it's like, if you just know what you're getting yourself into mm. and I mean, it just not only just predictability in terms of being harmed physically, but I think even emotionally, because I mean, so this is like kind of an issue that we have like in our parts where a lot of folks here are fake, which is pretty shitty. And it's something that we've all grow, kind of grown up with and sort of grown accustomed to. And it's really hard because like, you'll have somebody who will tell you how great you are, or at the very least will be friendly to you. And then you'll come, come to find out behind your back. They have a lot of stuff to say about you. And it's like, I mean, it's, not just disingenuous but it's also disheartening so there's a sense of like you know kind of emotional pain that comes with that so if i had to guess i would assume that people want to avoid that and the idea is like well i'd rather you just be truthful to me about this thing that you dislike about me as opposed to finding out about it somewhere else yeah that's good yeah that, that makes a lot of sense to me it's very hmm. possible but i don't know if any a rigorous validation of that um mm -hmm. I, that'd be a great study um come up with multiple hypotheses and try and test them uh, yeah but yeah if, if i had to guess um I mean, I wouldn't call this a hypothesis per se, but uh, probably it helps people predict 
you know, uh, predict the world by being able to uh, suss out that somebody is honest, they can at least feel more at ease, more secure mm -hmm. about their interactions with that person uh, in whatever context. Right. Um, and trust, yeah. trust comes in here. Yeah. Um, right. So I, can, I, because I am confident that you're honest, you're going to be honest with me and I'm going to be honest with you, we can trust each other mm -hmm. going forward. And, and that's related to prediction, of course. But I can trust that you're going to do right by me in the future and I'm going to do right by you. You're going to be dependable. You're not going to betray me. You're not going to talk by my back. So I think trust has to come into this as well. Yeah. And sometimes like uh, not to get into this too much, because it's a little bit of a sad, to sad, sad topic. Um, but clinically speaking, like you sometimes hear from clients that they'd rather be in terrible relationships where it's predictable. And even though bad things happen to them, they kind of can see them coming as opposed to just waiting for the other shoe to drop with somebody who's a good partner. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, you get you actually get yeah. that a lot where the idea is like, well, I don't know what this person no, for it's not even I don't know. It's I know what this person is thinking. I just don't want to. So let me see, I can explain this. It's I know what this person is thinking, but they just don't want to hurt my feelings. So somewhere down the line, they're gonna abandon me. Whereas with the person who's kind yeah. of treating me like shit, the idea is like, well, I mean, number one, this is sort of the way I see myself. Um, and number two is like I kind of know what's coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But it's interesting. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting how important honesty is again for emotional well-being. Where the idea mm -hmm. is that we oftentimes would rather just be able to predict it and have a life that's not so great, as opposed to taking a risk, especially when we don't think that it's possible for us, right? Or think there's a low probability of it, but then take the risk with somebody who is, you know, mm -hmm. to us at least seemingly dishonest because they don't see us the way we see ourselves. Yeah, yeah. But yep. just uh, how much? I mean, I would say this in in that in the version of having a, a good partner that's less predictable mm -hmm. i mean wouldn't wouldn't you argue that there isn't enough honesty there for you to uh, you know what's interesting so okay i love that but then the person would argue that even within this honesty i can predict that so that is like trump right so trump is a great example you know when people would say um like oh well yeah trump lies right but we know he's lying right he knows he's lying we know he's lying. everybody knows he's lying right so it's like there's an honesty there of a sword right so it's a twisted version of honesty yeah. but no but how many of his supporters have said like yeah of course we know he's lying like he tells us this all the time right it's not we don't care right so it's like again as long as we can predict the behavior there's a way of trusting it so it's so interesting like these different manifestations of honesty and what they could look like interesting mm -hmm. yep. okay. interesting that you said lying um you might think it's more bsing uh, yeah so right right and what's the difference yeah well the, the one one really fascinating thing about it honestly is another reason i got into it, it um i should have said this earlier on uh is that it's so broad in scope and multifaceted yep. way beyond what you might have initially appreciated so when i ask people what is the what is the way to fail to be honest? People say, of course, lie. Liars fail to be honest. That's that's kind of the end of the story. But that's just one of many ways to fail to be honest. Uh, misleading someone else, cheating someone else, stealing, breaking promises, deceiving, uh, I mean, uh, being a hypocrite, and BSing. So right. a, a bullshitter is a, is someone who's failing to be honest, but in ways that are distinct from those other kinds. So someone who lies genuinely cares about the truth and knowingly is presenting something that's false. Mm -hmm. Someone who BSs doesn't care about the truth. Mm -hmm. is, Harry Frankfurt is famous in philosophy for his book on bullshit. Um, it, it got him, you know, even on the, on the late night shows. What uh, <laughs> the, the one philosopher ever made on the late night shows. Wow. Uh, you know, he's, he's famous. He's a hero for us. Uh, <laughs> uh, so he wrote this book on all bullshit. So highly recommend it. It's a, it's a very short book. Um, and so his view is that, look, the bullshitter just doesn't care in the first place whether their utterances are true or false. They're just making things up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is it raining in Seattle? Does it, does it rain a lot in Seattle? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it rains a lot in Seattle. <laughs> you know, sure. Uh, I'm just making it up. Um, and you might have thought something like Trump that was actually more of his approach mm -hmm. uh, rather than, you know, knowing this was not accurate. He just was kind of flying by the seat of his pants and, and fabricating things as he went along. So yeah. um, uh, just, just a quick side note that all this was by way of saying there are interesting ways to fail to be honest besides just being an outright liar. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, right. Because it seems like such a straightforward and uncontroversial topic. But like, you know, kind of when we start reading about it and looking into it a little bit deeper, you see that there are actually kind of various forms, at least of dishonesty, if not honesty. So I don't know, I guess I wouldn't say that Trump was even being honest to those people. But it's kind of just interesting how they would even frame it as that where like, maybe just cognitive dissonance where they could say on the one hand, well, yeah, I know he's full of shit. But like, I still know he likes me or he treats me well or whatever it is, however you kind of want to conceptualize Mm -hmm. it. So maybe it's just cognitive dissonance against maybe it's not even honesty isn't the right term here. But it's really interesting how like some people would legitimately admit like, yeah, I know he's full of shit, but like, no, but he's still a likable guy. It's like, oh, how, do you, how do you kind of make sense of the two? Especially if honesty is the first thing that people look for. Yeah. So, yeah, that, 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 that is a tough one to square with that, with that data. I, I agree with you. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, here's, here's another failure of honesty, um, misleading. Mm-hmm. So this also, I mean, Trump could be used here, but, uh, but I think this is just take it more generally. Mm-hmm. Um, suppose here's here's an interesting fact. I can say true things to you, and be dishonest. Yep. So and I know that they're true. I'm not just making it up. It's not BS. I know that I'm saying true things to you, and I'm being dishonest. That's mm-hmm. pretty pretty subtle. It's not lying. Um, so here, how would that work? Well, um, here's an example I like to use. Uh, someone, a guy comes home uh, and from a night out. And uh, the next the next day, his his significant other says, "Where were you?" And he says, "Well, I was at the bar." Mm-hmm. And that's all he says, and that's true. Mm-hmm. He was at the bar, but of, of course, in this example, that wasn't the only place he was last night. Mm-hmm. He went somewhere else with someone else after the bar, right? And he conveniently leaves that out because mm-hmm. he wants the person to draw a mistaken conclusion mm-hmm. from his true statements. So you mislead people to arrive at falsity in a dishonest way by saying true things. Mm-hmm. Oh. So it's like a lie of omission, right? It's like where, where the idea is like, oh, well, yes, sure. I was at the bar, but I did other things. And I'm just going to happen. What happened to I mentioned the bar all the way. Yeah. But I mean, you are saying it's more than that than just lying by omission. I mean, you are saying true things. Mm-hmm. I was at the bar last night. Yeah, you're yes. You're omitting the key extra detail. Mm-hmm. I was somewhere else as well. Right. Um, and, and so, uh, so you can be, uh, you can fail to be honest by lying and telling outright falsities, but it could also by telling true things that you just made up and by telling true things that you know are true mm-hmm. in a misleading way. Mm-hmm. Lots, lots of pitfalls here when it comes to honesty. And right. So it's not enough. We shouldn't congratulate ourselves for not lying uh, if we're doing some of these other things instead. So, and the difference, and the difference between this and confirmation bias would be essentially that one is unconscious of the other one. That the motive is to sort of lie by a, omit a kind of omit a truth or lie by omission or you know, um, let's say kind of exaggerate in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 works for me. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, yeah. we haven't got into the conscious unconscious dimension to all this too. Um, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, can you tell <laughs> us a little bit about that? Well, so it. It seems to me that um, we might think of ourselves as pretty honest people. And as a matter of fact, we're less honest than we really, uh, than we think we are. Mm-hmm. And that might be in part because of some unconscious influences and the way that this works, not only consciously and unconsciously. So let's, let me give you a study. We haven't gotten much into the, the empirical literature that this go around. Um, so here's a, a famous study from the 1970s. Uh, participants came in, they uh, were seated at a desk, they took a test, they were told the person in charge said, I have to leave the room, I'm going to set a timer. When the timer goes off after five minutes, I want you to stop the test. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a two-way mirror, they didn't know it was a two-way mirror, but they were able to be covertly observed, and when the five minutes was up and the timer went off, it was, you know, question, did they stop the test or not? And 70 plus percent of them kept working after mm-hmm. the five minutes. Okay, now that's a kind of standard example of lack of honesty. They're cheating on the test and not following the, the instructions. Now, what does this have to do with the, the unconscious part? Well, there was another variation, another group where uh, in this situation, they had the same test, the same uh, setup in the room, except that they were seated in front of a mirror. That was the only difference. In the first group, they were seated at a desk. 
This time they were seated in front of a mirror. Mm -hmm. And they took the test. The timer went off after five minutes. And I don't can remember the exact percentage, but it was almost no one went beyond five minutes. Mm -hmm. So the only difference was the placement in front of the mirror. Hmm. And the, why is that relevant to the, the topic we raised? Mm -hmm. Consciously, that's not making a difference to people. Right. Because it's just see, a mirror. Yeah, it's just a mirror. What, what, right. what difference does that make? But unconsciously, it's making a significant difference as to whether they cheat or not. Mm -hmm. And the, the story that's told about this, it's not a pr proved, but it's the most reasonable story that's out there, is that um, we want to think of ourselves as honest people. Mm -hmm not always explicitly, but often unconsciously, we want to think, and this is a, a symptomatic of a larger desire to think of ourselves as good people. We want to think of ourselves as good people. But in this context, as honest people, when you're facing the mirror, it's hard to then turn around and cheat and think of yourself as a good person. Mm -hmm. um, the mirror forces you to look at yourself, literally, mm -hmm. and also subconsciously. Uh, and then uh, it's hard to put that together with a desire to think of yourself an honest person and also turn around and cheat. Mm -hmm. So it looks like there's definitely some subconscious influences going on on cheating, or in this case, not cheating, lack of cheating behavior. Uh, mm -hmm. And then a mirror study has been replicated multiple times. It's one of the, the coolest findings in this literature. I, I like it a lot. Yeah, it's super interesting. And then what about like the fact that there's a hypocrisy here too, that some of these studies are actually kind of fell victim to the replication. <laughs> and you literally have these studies on honesty that obviously kind of fall victim. Yeah. So crazy, man. Like, so can you tell us a little bit which yeah. ones did? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are some well, good ones. I think there, there are three things here we want to separate. Um, mm -hmm. There's the fact that many studies of honesty use dishonesty in the study. Mm -hmm. That's kind of cool. And you know, somewhat paradoxical. Um, so they'll they'll, for example, they'll lie to participants as part of a cover story to get them to do something. Mm -hmm. So they're being dishonest to the participants to to gauge their honesty. That's not primarily what you were interested in, but I think it's you know it's pretty interesting in its own, own right. Definitely. Um, secondly, there's replication, the replication crisis. Now that may not be a uh, a function of dishonesty at all. It might just be a function of poorly designed studies. Mm -hmm. um, so studies that had too few participants, and so they're making you know big generalizations or big conclusions when they didn't have a large enough sample size, mm -hmm. or they, you know they they focused on a student population and that didn't generalize to non-students, or they focused just on this American population and didn't generalize uh, cross-culturally. And there are studies like that where I don't think there was any dishonesty involved. It was just um, you know, not powered, highly powered enough or not um, uh, well done enough. So uh, unfortunately, a couple of these studies I've cited and used before they fail to replicate. So it makes me look like an idiot. Um, but hey, hey, don't don't forget Danny Kahneman. What was, oh my God, there was this famous study that he used in the Thinking Fast and Slow book. Yeah. I think it was, uh, do you remember which one it was? I, I I know what you're talking about. An entire chapter of that book now has failed to replicate. Yeah, the whole chapter. Yeah, yeah he yeah, just yeah. he was like, oh yeah, forget everything I said in that chapter, and it was something yeah. that was super controversial. Yeah. Oh my god, what was it? And then I remember he did a talk about it, and somebody asked him, they're like, hey, like, what do you actually think about this? Because this seems kind of like bullshit. And he was like, no, 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 no. He's like, look, he's like, I thought the same thing, but the study checks out. He's like, and I have to go where the data goes. Literally, five to six years later, it's out the door. Are you looking yeah, it up? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh my god, and it was so good too. But yeah, so but <laughs> it's right. So. Yeah, go ahead. But, 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 here, but yeah, but so, so there's those studies and, you know, look, sad they didn't replicate, but I don't think they necessarily involved dishonesty. Now, no. there's a third category, though, um, where is there some evidence of actual dishonesty in the carrying out of the study, mm -hmm. as in like faking the data? Well, there we've got, we've got a failure mm -hmm. of honesty. And then um, you can tell me what you found out in a minute. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, and there's one that's gonna, gotten a lot of attention in the last year. So Dan Ariely, who's a very, very prominent psychologist at Duke University, wrote multiple bestsellers. Um, he did this one study where it was looking at whether uh, having uh, you sign an honor pledge or kind of a no cheating pledge on a tax form, or I'm sorry, on an insurance form, mm -hmm. And if you did that at the beginning of the form, as opposed to the end of the form, 
would that make a difference as to how honest people were in there reporting on the form? Mm-hmm. And he, he, his data suggested yes, and it was published, and it was very widely cited, and it, to the point where the government started thinking about, should we change our, our tax forms in light of this data? Um, turned out in the last year, it was discovered that the, there's no way this data could have actually worked out this way. It was impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so either he faked it or the insurance company that he worked with faked the data, but someone faked it. We don't know for sure. And so that the, the results as a, as, a, as a consequence are invalidated. The study was retracted and all that work went up in smoke. Wow, man. Because of, of intentional dishonesty by someone. Mm-hmm. But you're saying essentially with the replication crisis is just a small number of people who at least have been proven to have been dishonest. Well, I, I, again, um, <laughs> as far as outright dishonesty, that's, that would mean that a scientist, you know, fudges the data, changes the numbers, didn't get these numbers, but changes them to something else to get a cool publishable result. Right. That I think has not been found to happen very much. Right. Dan Ariely is what I I was, was uh, an example of that. When we talk about the replication crisis, I I think those were met well, you know, typically well-meaning, well-intentioned scientists who's just conducted studies that um, unfortunately did not generalize. Right. Uh, so let me let me, let me make, if you want a more specific example of that, uh, 1970, uh, a study of helping in the shopping malls found that whether you found a dime or not in the coin return slot of a payphone mm-hmm. made a big difference for whether you helped or not. Big big difference, mm-hmm. like 15 percent versus 60 percent. Wow. Uh, um, five years later. They tried to replicate it with many more participants and they couldn't get the results again. Mm-hmm. The first study only had like 20 or 30 participants in it. Mm-hmm. That's a very small number of participants. If you're trying to get a, 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 a real demonstrable psychological finding, you need way more participants in your study than just a couple dozen. Mm-hmm. I don't think that those first researchers were doing anything malicious or dishonest. I think they just did a, conducted the study poorly. Right. And had a small sample size. Small sample size. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Wait, uh, what do we find about uh, the... So I couldn't... I didn't get it. So it's something, oh, something like... something about the ESP results? Yeah, I don't think that was it. I don't think it was ESP. It was It was like one of these type of studies that Christian just described. It was literally like... um. So like if something happens in the environment, it automatically makes you do something different ethically. So it was one of those. I don't remember exactly what it was. But it was just so funny because Kahneman like fought so hard for it. Then he's like, oh, yeah, actually, that's not true. So it's so interesting. You get this a lot in like research where... um. I'm assuming, and I mean, this is going like super on tangent, uh, but uh, so, but the thing is like with a lot of researchers, I mean, we always want to have like, you know, obviously not a research, but I'm assuming that people want to have like, you know, this big aha discovery. Right. And then, so what you get is obviously these kind of studies where, yeah. So I guess if it's not dishonesty, the idea is it's like wishful thinking. They sort of buy into it without doing too much questioning because I mean, the idea is again, you know, publish or perish. I mean, we've heard this a million times. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, you're right. A, a, Results that are not attention grabbing are typically not going to get published. Right. Uh, so you want to get those attention grabbing results uh, and, and just making small moves or having small findings are not going to help your career. Yep, there's no doubt about it. Uh, and also not finding anything, finding no relationship. Yep. That, that, sometimes that's good to know, but it's not going to help you get published often. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's the attention. And also... You know, taking it to the next level of leveraging this into a, a popular book and right. the speaker series and appearing on Oprah or something like that, or yeah. on the Seize the Moment podcast. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, you know, so that, that kind of thing. Uh, if you have some little results, you're not going to open those doors. So. Yeah, like- yeah. No, sorry. Super quick. Okay. I just like how you juxtaposed 
Oprah and Susan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> never know. Clearly on the same level. You never so. know. <laughs> yeah, but and I was thinking, like, literally, we're talking power poses, right? Like, I mean, who was it? Like, Amy Cuddy? Like, she literally yep. went on. Yeah, all across the world just talking about these power poses. And again, and by the way, I think the other thing I'm sure you guys would agree is just people love simple solutions. So, like, the like you know, nudging was a big one, even though nudging is actually a good one. But the idea is it's like, if we could just change one simple thing, like power posing, right? And then we get all of this self-esteem, like, oh, my God. Of course, let's write a book about yeah. it, right? Who yeah. wouldn't love that? Who needs to waste all that time and money on therapy? <laughs> yeah, but but reality is is messy. Reality is complicated. Um, there are no, there almost are never any quick, easy solutions like this. Um, we we what we hope they are. We dream for them. You're right to yeah. say that. Um, and it sells lots of copies of books. Uh, you know the 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 ethics drug. Someone claimed to find the, the part of the brain that's the ethics part of the brain and, and then came up with a, a, a drug and you could just take this drug and we'll make people a lot more moral wow yeah that really happened uh, oversimplifying but yeah yeah, yeah. something like those oh lines yeah yeah, yeah 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 sorry Doesn't no no that, no that yeah so okay and then one of the uh final questions before we wrap up and this is going to be a super broad one uh sure. so where do you hope and where do you envision that sort of that the research on um and obviously on um on honesty where where is it going to go where do you want it to go yeah i mean we're we're th realistic that we're just starting out here um we're starting kind of making baby steps and i'm a philosopher so i'm going to start by just understanding the phenomena better i want to mm. understand what is honesty i got to define my terms be right. clear about the concepts uh, how is it different from other concepts but where ultimately where I'd love it to go eventually is in the direction of interventions. Mm. So by that, I mean, you know, actually taking it from neglected, not just in the academic sense, but neglected in society mm. and doing something about that neglect practically new, you know, or maybe they can be older, just effective strategies for growing in honesty as a person, as a society, as a, as a human species, um, that's what I really want. I don't, I don't want this just to be academic. Um, it's, it's helpful for it to start that way, but it'd be really sad if it, if it stayed at the level of academic discourse. Oh, I love that. So it's like what you're pretty much saying is let's stop trying to define it and let's start trying to actualize it. Yeah, mm. eventually, eventually though, but don't skip that first stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's tempting to go right to the you know, let's encourage it. Let's grow in it. Let's practice. Let's have some, you know, new school strategies. Let's, you know, uh, let's change the workplace in these kind of ways. Well, hold on a second. Let, let's do the preliminary work carefully, mm -hmm. but not stay at the preliminary work forever. No, that's what I would want to say. Yeah. yeah. And I would even guess that some of the research on honesty is really also looking at the actual effects of it as well. Now, not just specifically like which strategies work, like uh, kind of foster it, but also when we do have it right in the mm -hmm. environments that we do have it, what sort of environments does it actually help create? Yeah, that's right. So looking at consequences or outputs or the impact of honesty on other variables. Um, that's, right. that's, a, that's a, so we are the honesty project here at Wake Forest. We're doing research, but we also funded uh, 16 teams around the world in the amount of $2 million total to do all new exciting research on honesty, much of which is along those lines. I'm mm -hmm. um, looking at the impact of honesty on something else. So honest feedback on mentoring relationships. Mm -hmm. Give you a specific example. Uh, honest feedback in romantic relationships. Mm. Does it strengthen the romantic relationship or not? Those kind of impacts, we're, we're doing a lot of that research too. Yeah. yeah, wow. I love that so much. Yeah, plus plus doing rigorous uh, research, preliminary research is what's going to differentiate um, the information that you're going to espouse and, and people like yourself um, from, you know, uh, just that general sort of, um, by the way, not knocking self-help or what consultants do for different uh, companies. Um, a lot of it is grounded in research, but I mean, uh, some just kind of write a whole book on this kind of stuff before doing the research as, as you're, as you're saying. So yeah. I think that that's incredibly important. And when we can have that really backing, um, 
you know, the literature and, and ways to intervene and really make this an, an actionable thing in society. I think that's what's going to make a, a bigger difference as opposed to just kind of working on uh, ways to sort of clickbait or, or hype up uh, these things without that without yeah. that important yeah, and work. what i would also <clears throat> as add is it seems like it also at least comes a bit closer to closing that is odd gap so just you know for our listeners the idea is that you can't get you know the sort of the kind of general philosophical understanding is you can't get an ought to it is if there are sort of basic facts just like we talked about earlier with evolution just because certain things evolve to be a certain way doesn't necessarily mean they need to be right but i think what this research says is well hold on right if we can sort of show that honesty fosters a better society then maybe we could start of thinking about again you're not going to fully close it but get a sort of take that gap and narrow it a little bit mm. between what is and what could be that's mm. right that's, that's been the focus of my research you just summed up nicely in the last 10 years not just mm -hmm. on honesty but on character in general my last book was called the character gap the gap between how we actually are and how we should be right and mm. it's under it's important to understand how we actually are psychology can help with that it's important to understand how we should be philosophy can help with that but ultimately it's in the service of taking both sides and bringing them closer together. Right. Bringing the is up, elevating the is closer to the ought. Right. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Perfect, <laughs> perfect, perfect end point. Alan, final questions for Christian before we go? Yes. Uh, if we wanted to follow you, follow your work, where could we find you? Uh, just on social media, at Character Gap. One word, Character Gap. Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, the usual places. So, um, and even an email, if anyone wants to, to carry out a more extensive discussion, feel free to email me. Just find me at Wake Forest Philosophy Department. Awesome. And your book on honesty, I'm assuming, is available on all major platforms, right? It is. Uh, it's, it's from Oxford University Press, published in 2021. And uh, Amazon can help you, but uh, plenty of other places can too. Yep. Oh, awesome. awesome. Christian, thank you thank so you. much for coming this on, man. Amazing. Time it's always me. great to be with you guys. So take Absol care. Absolutely, man. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. There you have it, guys. So uh, if you'd like to follow us, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and, <clears throat> and TikTok. That's right. We are on TikTok. And also at Seize underscore uh, podcast on Twitter. Like, subscribe. Hit the bell hit the on bell. YouTube. That's right. And guys, uh, as always, thanks for watching. Keep seizing the moment and see you next time.